0: Welcome to Israel from the inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to DanielGordis.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. I'm sitting with Dalia Fadila, who was introduced to me by a very good mutual friend who we'll talk about very briefly a little bit later, named David. Uh, Dalia is, I think it's fair to say, a maverick educator in the Israeli Arab community who has done some pretty extraordinary things, uh, the most recent of which is to me very, very inspiring and I wanted to have an opportunity to learn more about it myself and to share your project with our listeners who I think will be very interested. So first of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time today.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: I know it's the end of a long day for you and you had to fight Jerusalem traffic to get here (laughs) and for some reason Jerusalem traffic has gotten out of control lately. Um, But we'll come to the project that you're working on in a couple of minutes. Why don't we just begin by having you tell us all a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, where you grew up, how you ended up in education and so forth.
1: First of all, I'm happy to be here with you. And uh, uh, I, to start from the end, I'm here in Jerusalem because I'm also lucky enough to lead a project in Jerusalem with the East Jerusalem schools, uh, uh, partnering with the municipality of Jerusalem and the Ministry of Education, which is very significant, especially in the light of what's going on recently in uh, in Israel, in the Arab community, and in Jerusalem in particular. But I grew up in Tira. I, I grew up Where in is Tira. Tira for our listeners? Uh, Tira is at the center of the country. Uh, strategically enough, an hour from Tel Aviv and an hour from Jerusalem. And uh, I grew up in a family where my father was the head of the uh, education department in the municipality of Tira. Tira back then was a village. Now it's a city, still acting like a village in the triangle, holy Muslim, 100% Muslim population. And we grew up as a standard family. Uh, My father insisted that the girls in the family should attend university, must even attend the university. So that made your
0: father very progressive for his time, no? Very
1: progressive and very undemocratic about it, (laughs) actually, (laughs) is that he said Arab women, minority women in particular, have to have very high education. And that was a must in our home. This is how we found ourselves, my sister and I, as the first generation of Muslim Uh, young women from the community attending university, which is like a big responsibility. But my father wanted to calculate the risk. He wanted to manage the risk. So he said, I suggest Baryland University. And I did not want to go to Baryland University. It's for me too conservative, too close. But my father said, university, yes, but I should drive you every day. And he did that for the whole three years of my bachelor degree, imagine, at the middle also the Gulf War, which was very interesting. Luckily enough, and ironically enough, at the same time, I stayed at Barylan University for 15 years for my bachelor, for my master, for my PhD. I came back uh, for one year as a lecturer at the English department, teaching Arab American uh, literature, going back for my teaching certificate and hoovering, helicoptering around uh, uh, Bariland for so many years and still, but could not convince my kids to go to Bariland University, so they attend the Hebrew U now.
0: Okay, that's not too bad.
1: (laughs) Not too bad. This is (laughs) how I was educated around uh, uh, the literature of minorities, the literature of women, Americanism. And your PhD is in
0: literature, right?
1: My PhD is the literature written by Arabs in America. My master was about the literature written by minority women in America. And all of that, that, looking back at it, was an excuse for me looking for some self-definition. At these years of young rebellion, I I did not know who am I. I was an Arab, I was an Israeli, a feminist, a Muslim, a Palestinian, all of that, none of that. And it's all in a framework of ongoing rebellion. And the literature helped me really define who am I. Uh, During that time, I started to teach English uh, at the local high school, the one I graduated from only a few years before that. In Tira. In Tira. Kicked out from uh, that school in a few years after.
0: You were kicked out as a... I
1: was kicked out as a teacher because I was too rebellious, too too liberal, too open-minded, exposing my students to literature, to language, to... Music, all of that through the English classroom. I was offered a job at an unrecognized college called the El-Kasimi College that started in the 80s as a religious seminary under a mosque in Baka al-Gharbiyya. Baka is the second big Muslim city after Umm al-Fahm. Umm al-Fahm is the home of the Northern Islamic Movement, and Baka is the home of the Sufi mov- Movement. So you can imagine a liberal progressive feminist coming from Tira to teach American literature at Al-Qasimi, almost kicked by the sheikhs at that time, but strangely enough, finding myself to be one of the leading academics, leading the college in 15 years from from a religious seminary, and recognized by the state of Israel into an Israeli-Arab-Muslim Academy teacher training. So around 2015, I was already the vice president, and I was preparing myself for the next level. After that, I was. You were given, for sure
0: the first woman to have a role like yes. that, right? I mean, it had to be.
1: I was the first woman to be in such a position, and I was the first woman to stand uh, on an equal ground with the sheikhs and the male academics and, and offer a handshake, which is forbidden in Islam, and then the sheikh would offer it back because I'm one of the men, in quote unquote. <laughs> and that was the whole achievement. Have a woman who comes from a village, a Muslim, a uh, uh, um, very conservative uh, community and she paves the way. I wanted to prove a point back then that a woman can do it, and I also wanted to open the doors for other women to do that. When I uh, finished um, my job at Al-Qasimi around two, uh, 2015, I was already head of uh, uh, an institution where 50 percentage are women faculty members, uh, Arabs and Jews, and more than 70% uh, female students, which was like an achievement back then. And after that, I was given the opportunity to um, develop and establish an engineering school. Of course, people say, you're a literature person, you're education teacher training person, what do you understand uh, about uh, engineering? And I said management and knowing how to tell people what to do, of course. <laughs> and then in five years, I uh, helped establish the engineering college. I was the first lady president of an engineering college in the Arab community. And again, I had had an agenda to bring more female uh, Arab Muslim uh, women uh, students into engineering and technology. 2018, I thought you want to socially mobilize or you want to change the community or you want to cause real impact in the Arab community in Israel. Academia, college level is not the answer. Answer is formal, preschools, uh, early childhood education, and uh, elementary foundational levels. So I quit my job. Very disappointing to my mother (laughs) (laughs) and very confusing to my uh, family. And then I say, guys, I want to open my Q-Schools. And Q-Schools started as an English language center in the afternoon. Why
0: are they called Q schools? The quality schools. Quality, okay. Because
1: I, I thought, and it's also research-based, and it's it's result-based, that because we, we hardly, as an Arab system of education, graduate 40% of, of, of all cohort in any year, and only uh, um, 12% get to attend uh, universities in, in, in Israel, it seems that uh, going back, we're not doing the right things in Arab education in Israel. And it's also because of the confusion about identity and the thinking skills and teaching skills and the right pedagogy and, and management of the schools and all of that. It's a whole area of, of complexities. And I thought if I want to change my community and I want to be the true leader... Uh, not from within an office but from within a preschool and i go back and after i open my uh, english language centers in the afternoon and call it empowerment through english and write my own curriculum with a group of experts around me academics um, and uh, and uh, putting uh, arab uh, uh, protagonist in the text where amal the girl is the english speaker and a girl is traveling around the world and teaching and then you have knowing other cultures and meeting kids from france and from jerusalem and from different backgrounds and all of that and i fulfill a dream of a curriculum that is inclusive from within the community and outside and empowering Uh, not with a cultural alignment but cultural empowerment where you are the best of who you are and you're not someone else you don't no offense but you don't have to be a daniel or a george to be someone uh, important you can be an ahmad or muhammad to be yourself and and yet part of israel and part of the world and that was the whole idea simple as it sounds <laughs> and from there i started the preschools and i thought english language preschools should be the start people asked where's the hebrew i said once arab kids go into the third level of a foreign language they come empowered to naturally integrate into the second language, which is Hebrew, and empowered that themselves. And it really worked. We expanded. Only few kids going to the preschools. They thought it's too confusing, too Western, too not us, too un-Muslim, too whatever you want. And Dalia is the unleader who's taking us the wrong direction. And I survived the first three years, and now I had a waiting list that is too long to observe for the preschools. This year, I fulfilled another dream, which is opening uh, even younger for age one to three. Uh, And next year, I'll fulfill another dream, which is opening a trilingual, uh, a foundational level uh, school, which is going to be Hebrew, English and Arabic, which is extraordinary for me. But again, I believe if Arab education wants to be effective and impactful, it has to work in mother tongue as the language of identity, Hebrew as the language of integration, and English as the language of globalism and excellence. Now, all Q school is around establishing uh, uh, educational institutions, the schools, the preschools, and now we're about to to start our, not only foundational, but also secondary level. Uh, In a matter of three years, we'll have the whole chain from preschool into high school and also partnering, as I said earlier, with the municipality of Jerusalem and the um, and, um, Ministry of Education around leading uh, pedagogic and organizational processes in East Jerusalem and also in different places. So this is what I have done and still doing to the point where I met David, our right. mutual friend.
0: <laughs> Which is brings us to the other project that you're involved mm-hmm. with. Which is called atidna so uh atid is a hebrew word also which means Mm -hmm. future Mm -hmm. so tell us what atidna means in arabic and what is the project that you Mm co-founded trying to accomplish who'd you co-found it with and tell us about it
1: so it all started with david (laughs) it all started with this inspirational friend and leader who wanted to do something about Arab-Jewish relationship and Israel he first wanted to understand and then he wanted to do something around it. And he, uh, um, uh, we, we gathered, we were invited to a meeting with him uh, by friends of friends and friends. Friend. We found ourselves like uh, almost 30 uh, persons in one room for three days around David trying to explain what is wrong with Arab-Jewish relationships in Israel and how we can fix it. Okay? You can understand how ambitious the whole thing. But what we did not expect back then is that uh, David would say, I'm going to help you fulfill that uh, wish in a way and try to do something real about it. And then Atidna uh, was founded by, uh, uh, by Arab and Jewish social leaders, educa- educators, who decided with Amid Deri and with Erez Eshel, uh, uh, trying to, to build something. And we knew that real integration happens through education, informal education, formal education, academic education, and employment. And if we wanna prove that uh, uh, Arabs can be part of this country, we have to lead them uh, through a a, a pathway where where they see how how, um, fulfilling it is to be integrated inside Israel, and that goes through all the advantages of being well-educated, well-qualified to uh, high-tech and being part of the startup nation. But that does not happen alone without the ideology of it. And the ideology is based on the recognition that mostly Arabs in Israel are confused. And this is not only my, um, my opinion, my personal opinion, it is an understanding of the situation in past years where Uh, uh, if you ask 10 Arabs in Israel, they will give you at least 15 definitions of what it means to be an Arab in Israel, Arab in Israel, of Israel, 48 Arabs, Arabs of the inside, uh, Palestinians, Palestinians in Israel, moronically (laughs) Israeli Palestinians, and and so many other shades of of that definition of what what it means to be an Arab in Israel. And basically that uh, uh, multiplicity, Let's put it this way. Multiplicity of identity definitions is because there is no one leadership pattern inside the Arab community in Israel that leads in one visionary direction or definition defining on the one hand who you should be as a community in terms of heritage and and, um, culture and values, but also what is your attitude towards the state. And what we find all the time is that relationship of the Arab community towards the state is is defined by conflict, ongoing conflict, and uh, ongoing uh, um, conflict of interest. So you should be uh, feeling ashamed and guilty if you say, I'm an Israeli, uh, although you hold the Israeli ID and you keep choosing to to live inside Israel and be part of Israeli, and especially if you're asked in the midst of any uh, military activity or some conflict or some crisis, and you say... Even in May, when the protests happened, are you choosing now to go to Ramallah and live their Palestinian life? And people would say, absolutely not. We're, we're here. This is our home. So are you Israeli? They would say, no, we're not. So what are you doing here? Would you go back and be not? And this, and this is why I'm saying it's a multiplicity of identity definitions, yet the outcome is confusion. This is why what happens in terms of education, integration and informal activity and the youth movement in Atidna is powered by the ideology that we're bringing up a generation that knows how to balance cultural heritage and identity, Arab identity, Arab values, at the same time recognizing himself, herself as a citizen of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state.
0: Wow, okay, that's uh, a huge undertaking. It's very, um, it's, it's really kind of paradigm changing because obviously we know that the, the sense of conflict between the two communities goes back as early as, as Israel, right, I mean, to a certain extent, people who call themselves Israeli Arabs now and people who are Palestinians over the border, some of that is just a matter of happenstance, who left, who didn't leave, who stayed, who didn't stay, who couldn't leave, wanted all of those kinds of issues. And then we know, of course, that Israel put the Arabs who were citizens of the country under military uh, rule, so to speak, until 1966, which is a pretty long time. Uh, Ironically, it was Menachem Begin, among other people, who was pushing to end that. So the the sense of conflict goes back to the earliest days of the state. And you're now really doing pathbreaking work to try to get young Israeli Arabs to understand that it doesn't have to be conflictual. It can be multiple mutually fulfilling and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. So if we could fast forward for a sense, you have how many, about 3,000 people now?
1: 3,000 people, including youth movement, uh, kids from age uh, uh, 10 up to 25. We have a group of uh, uh, students who uh, receive annually the scholarship uh, of Hatidna to encourage them uh, sustain academic studies inside Israel, Israeli academia. And we have also almost four, not almost now, starting the, the fifth cohort of the high-tech um, Atidna Elevation high-tech program that qualifies young Arabs, men and women. And I, I have to put, underline the, the women part of it. The first women to high-tech are the Atidna, Atidna women to high-tech, qualifying them already, having uh, almost uh, 40 young people, men and women, being integrated in high-tech companies inside Israel as a result of the program we're leading.
0: What does the program give them? How does the program get them there?
1: The program gives them two things first of all the technical qualification for the up, most updated uh, uh, needs of high-tech companies.
0: Do they typically have degree academic degrees yes. in engineering? Yes, they're
1: Technion graduates. So
0: they're Technion they're graduates.
1: academic graduates in the field of computer science, computer engineering or sciences at all.
0: And then they get more beyond that from this program. Yes,
1: they get more beyond uh, from the program. They get. Uh, Basically, the, the, the idea, the purpose of the program is to make them more attractive to the uh, Jewish employers, to the international employers inside Israel and also outside Israel probably, uh, is to make them attractive in terms of the technical uh, qualifications, knowing exactly what is needed now and the world of high is really changing from one day to day. And the other thing, which is more important even, is sharpening their Hebrew, sharpening their English, sharpening their interviewing skills, their uh, their personal skills, soft skills, and and even LinkedIn uh, and and Facebook and how to present themselves, uh, market themselves, advocate themselves to their employers. And this is how we we guarantee that with those two things coming side by side, going side by side, we are we are actually guaranteeing them. Getting a job in uh, in Facebook or Tabula or other uh, or Google or other, and it's places. working. It is definitely working. Uh, almost eighty percentage of all the graduates of the bootcamps are already placed in very good uh, uh, companies, is uh, well known companies. I mean, and they start with a salary of at least uh, fifteen to eighteen thousand shekels, which is as a starting point. It's like uh, a very old headmaster of a school. Uh, in Israel, right. After twenty years of uh, you know work, no, it's
0: considered a very decent salary, to put it mildly. Yeah. Now, just to give our our listeners a little bit of context, you and I were chatting before, so your estimate is that the graduates of the Technion, which is basically like Israel's MIT, more mm-hmm. or less, it's really high level, very high level engineering science university. Mm-hmm about 20 to 25% of those graduates are Israeli Arabs these days, right? Is that what you were according saying.
1: According to, yeah, according to statistics. Okay. Yeah.
0: But in the Israeli high-tech world, only 3% yes. are Israeli Arabs. Yes. Even though Israeli Arabs of course are 20% of the yes. population and a little bit more higher than that represented in the Technion. So there are barriers to employment that somehow Atitna's project is trying to help them overcome. Right? So some of the some of the barriers to employment are On the side of the students, they need to polish their English, they need to polish their Hebrew, they need to polish their interviewing skills. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it sounds like it's been incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. Some of the barriers are on the other side, though, Mm -hmm. right? Some of the barriers are on the side Mm -hmm. of the employers, and um, some of it's what we call an old boys' network. I mean, I know even for my own kids Mm -hmm. who've gone into this field, uh, Mm -hmm. you kind of, after you go to college, you get your degree, what do you do? You don't send out resumes you call mm-hmm. your army buddies definitely uh, you call literally you just call your army buddies and mm-hmm. one person sends you to another person send you another person they say oh, we're starting this do you want to join mm-hmm. that and it's not meant to be exclusive of anyone they just know each other and because these are good units they mm-hmm. trust each other to yes. be quality people and that's a very high barrier for young israeli arabs yeah. who don't have that to 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 break through is there anything that been done to work on the Jewish side to get people to be more open to hiring young Israeli Arabs in these kinds of communities?
1: Definitely, I'll, I'll say one more thing about, about the difference in, uh, in, uh, in qualifications. Uh, both an Arab and a Jew might be graduates of the Technion. Uh, probably the Arab might have uh, better marks than a Jewish uh, student. Nonetheless, that would not guarantee uh, employing him or him or her being attractive to employers in the big companies. And it's, it's exactly because of what I call the machine. Let's assume we call it the machine. A Jewish kid comes out of uh, uh, high school, he has the machina ahead of him or her, he has the army ahead of him. Two places with, with uh, tremendous opportunities of networking and, and, and again sharpening your basic uh, very natural uh, uh, jewels of the skills of how to, to talk and how to manage and how to lead and how to be part of a group and how to be yourself. An Arab student, an Arab young man or woman does not go through that machine. He does not, she does not have that machine available to him. And not having that machine available to him, he, he moves from high school into, uh, into into academia and then from academia looking to a job. And in between sometimes high school and academia, basically a job at McDonald's or a Roma. So that's not enough, that's not 800, 200. Uh, that's that's not enough as as a machine to qualify right, eighty two hundred you know?
0: being the very very yeah. high level intelligence unit that yes. Israel has. So
1: it's not you're not even close to thinking about that. So, and that's a big difference. That's the gap. This is where the gap starts widening between Jewish young men and Arab young men in particular, and women and from both sides uh, in 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 general. And what we're doing to help with that, we're creating with the elevation with the elevation the company that is helping us set the podcam and and uh, set the whole. Uh, program altogether technically and uh, on on a personal uh, skill level uh, um, also on the on the level of uh, developing the personal skills is we're creating a consortium of uh, high-tech companies uh, where uh, they all commit to employing uh, Arab students who have to prove first that they are qualified. Of course, they have to go through the the interviews. It's not like a kind of corrective agenda in a way that uh, because he's an Arab or she's an Arab, he's automatically. I don't want that, basically. I don't want that to happen. I want Arab young men to, to put enough effort into investing in themselves and take advantage of the whole program and then go ready to fail and to succeed but uh, luckily we have a good percentage of our graduates going into that next level now it's their responsibility to sustain that place and advance
0: no so now um it's fascinating and it's i have to say it's it's heartwarming and as somebody who cares a lot about this society and equal access for people of all backgrounds it's it's really very very moving and it, it gives hope. Uh, so that's, it's really, it's really fabulous. So I wanna um, just ask you a couple of questions, really as somebody who is, you know, cares about the Arab community in Israel, knows a little bit about it, has friends in it, but doesn't know it anywhere near the way that you know it, obviously. What about the idea of a machina for young Israeli Arabs? Um, the idea of something not exactly like what Jewish kids are getting, But something parallel before they go off to the university to give them some of the same kinds of skills as pre-university, one year, typically, Mm -hmm. sometimes two, but one year program. That, as you said before, is so powerful for an elite group of Jewish kids. Any talk about creating something like that for Mm -hmm. Arab kids?
1: Basically, uh, uh, creating a mechina is part of the strategic plan of Atidna. So we're working on it and we believe in it. And call me naive. But I have always wondered why there is a resistance to mechinot among Arabs inside Israel, Arab leaders inside Israel. It's, it must happen. Civic uh, uh, or life preparing or employment preparing or social preparing, uh, whatever you want to call it, call it. Mechina has to be uh, uh, the next stage after high school. In Atidna, we have, part, we, we have it as part of our strategic plan. We're working on it uh definitely working on it and we're hoping to have our first mechina in two years oh. uh, and um, we're just going for it we are aware of the resistance around it we understand why we're not convinced
0: well i don't think somebody would be very foolish to call you naive first of all i think that would be a kind of a very <laughs> bad bet but um so what is the what is the source of the resistance to it even though you don't agree with it they're obviously very smart people who are opposed to it what what motivates them
1: I wanted to say stupidity but since you said <laughs> but since you said smart people now I have to take that uh, back.
0: Okay, maybe I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> Actually it is the interest of some leaders to call any advancement from the side of Arabs towards integration inside Israel or learning from the Jewish community as kind of betraying Arab interest or Palestinian interest.
0: Because they lose power?
1: Definitely. By the way, it's
0: similar in the Haredi community, right? I mean, we have Haredi students here who their rabbis are not so crazy about them going to a liberal arts college because then they're not gonna have the full control. So it's a very similar process.
1: Because once you're in a mechina, you're uh, an individual. You're not part of a community that can easily influence you in any direction. You cannot be convinced easily that uh, waiting to Palestine to be free or ending whatever it should be ended or giving some power to the Palestinian Authority is the condition, is the prior condition before we start thinking about our education, our kids, our women, our young people, our employment. Now, the statistic from on our side are very gloomy. Now, less than 20% of Arab women are employed. That means 80% of Arab women are unemployed, although, uh, uh, on, on opposite statistics, sixty percent of Arab academics are women. So imagine, sixty percentage of Arab academics are women, but only twenty percentage of the people employed in the in the community uh, are women.
0: How, the other eighty percent want to be employed. How many of them want to be employed?
1: I didn't ask them, but no. Uh, it
0: has to be more of, than that, obviously.
1: Listen. Thinking of the the economic level of the Arab community in general, and the fact, according to formal statistics, 51 of Arab homes are under poverty line in Israel, according to Knesset statistics and reports, that means one of the reasons why 51 percentage of the community under poverty level is because there is one income provider in the family. This means that woman is not an invited provider. Once women take uh, an equal part or, or some part in bringing money into the family, that means another level for the, for the family and another level for the community. So asking women if, if you want to work for your money or you want money or not, thats uh, sorry, it's ridiculous because unless you're married to some uh, very wealthy, I don't know who, <laughs> uh, and, and then you come with a big heritage, you don't want to really, you want to contribute in another way, but definitely you really, from that position, you, you really want to win a work. That was not a good thing
0: to say right no no, i think it makes perfectly good sense uh-huh. so um part of the resistance for example to this idea of mechinot or uh-huh. the general integration is from if i understand you correctly and correct me if i'm not saying uh-huh. it right is from a fairly conservative communities leadership that has for a very long time been able to work on the assumption that people are this community and not individuals and the idea of people finding their own individual paths Weakens the communal structure in some way, and that's part of the resistance. I hear you saying, right?
1: Another reason because Michinot and and uh, national service or civic service are stigmatized or labeled as as military types or types of military service, which is which is not true because eventually you volunteer in your community, uh, and and people find it easier to label them as though and not take the advantages that they can offer, but. Why did I say earlier that there is, there is an amount of stupidity in, in it? Because you can take the Michina, uh platform, you can take the structure, you can take the idea, and you can make it suitable to the community. You can really work it out to make it suitable to the community. Don't reject it all 100% and say this is all an agenda of military service trying to take our kids away from what. We want better younger generation. Now, I have to tell you on a, on a personal note, during May, with everything that was happening, I was the first time in my life I was deeply concerned on a very, very personal level. Uh, and I was really concerned because suddenly, I, as a person who invests her life in education and her effort in education, and I believe real change happens through grassroots education in the community and, and youth movement and social work, suddenly I see the next generation of Arab. Uh, of Arab young men and women or kids, youth. And I ask myself, is is this our future as a community? These angry, purposeless young men after midnight going to to burn tires and and attack the police and and destroy shops in their community and the schools in their communities like, Is this our future? This is the future we're creating with our hands as a community. Forget about the government and the Jews and everything. It's just looking inside and saying, Oh my God, we don't have a future as a community. Put aside, besides that, the ratios of of increasing uh, crime in the community and what what happened in May. And and then you say, oh my God, all of these leaders calling these kids to go out in the streets, excuse me for not being politically correct, they are criminals. I thought they're criminals. What are they doing? They are cutting our chances, destroying our chances of having a decent future next generation in our community. All the Technion students, all the graduates are there in their places, and they're not influencing what what happens in the street. But the ones going in the street are influencing, unfortunately, our community inside, the future of our community, our relationship to our neighbors, and our relationship to the the state.
0: Hmm.
1: And it's destructive.
0: And that's where Atidna comes in, obviously, in giving Definitely. people the tools to think about this entirely differently. Yes. So let me give you um, a question that I think it's a hard question. It's a hard question. I don't know how I would answer it. I'm interested in yes. how you would answer it. Let's see. Let's say a student who's in Atidna, a high school student, comes to you and finds you, you know, one quiet afternoon sitting someplace at Aroma. You mentioned Aroma, mm-hmm. which is an Israeli, you know, coffee chain and you're sitting and this person's smart and they, they, they buy into what you're saying and they, they like the idea of, of building a, a much better career and being much more integrated into Israeli society. But they say to you over a cup of coffee somewhere, they say, but you know, at the end of the day though, it's a Jewish state. I mean, look at the flag, look at the anthem, look at, I mean, everywhere you turn, so aren't I always gonna be somehow on the margins of this state? Aren't I, isn't, aren't I like Sisyphus? Like I'm you know, pushing the, the boulder up the mountain and it's always gonna fall down. Why, why swim against the stream like that? What would you say to them?
1: First of all, this is what I always say. We educators are very optimistic people. We work for a reason and we believe that reason wins. And we create people with hope and vision. And we look at the success stories, the many Arabs in academia, the many Arabs in in, in high tech, the many Arabs in in different positions, not so many to be a a big part of the community, but big enough to show a success story, very visible, out there, very uh, uh, well known. And I say, look at them, look at these people and learn from them because they were consistent about their vision and consistent about their values, then you have to to fulfill their dreams and be there the role model for the rest of the young people. This is one. Second, we did not create, we Arabs in Israel did not create the, the minority-majority conflict. It's out there in the world. And many minorities around the world has has um, sorted out uh, uh, their ways. They, they have found the path toward integration And they have found the the path toward uh, preserving your identity and it's never um, a linear a clean uh, cut pathway it's always risky it's always uh, reversible Uh, sometimes it's very conflicting sometimes you have to stand and say what am i doing am i doing the right thing am i betraying myself am i being true to myself is it the right thing for my community There will be moments like that when you wonder like uh, uh, especially around conflict um, zones or times you wonder whether this is the right path to go. But you wake up the other day and you say, is there another way to go other than for a minority to be integrated into the larger state? And on the other side, also, it's there is change to happen on uh, on the side of the Jewish Israeli community. The government is also changing policies. It's not that the government is totally blind to what's going on. Uh, the 922, uh, 923 governmental decisions, investment in Arab education, Arab employment, informal education. And now
0: much greater concern about the usual violence in the That's Arab really community. That's really violence,
1: yes, and, and thinking about it, I can't say that the state is indifferent to what happen, what to what's happening in the Arab community. I cannot say that, but that uh, does not free me, liberate me or uh, from my uh, internal uh, responsibility. I grew up to believe, and this is how I bring up my children and bring up and and educate all my students and and people around me uh, try to make them think like that. First of all, ask yourself what is your part of the equation, where you can contribute to to, to take in your part of the responsibility? And once you are there, reach out. And, and then you say, I'm here halfway, and then I need your other halfway to partner with me because alone I can't do it. In Israel, you cannot define yourself as an Arab unless you recognize that being Israeli is also you. It's impossible. If you think you can live a pure Palestinian life in Israel and stay an Israeli citizen, it's a fallacy. And also, it's impossible to be an Israeli Jew without thinking that Arabs in Israel are part of you as well. And this is and this part it's it's um, either you see it as the enemy from within or as the neighbor you want to invest in because you don't want an angry poor neighbor to hate you
0: or even as partners in other words, not only neighbor but as partners and I could look across the table and see you as a partner in building the society into Definitely. the kind of society that you want yes. your kids to grow up in and I want my yes. kids to grow up in uh, it's really it's really extraordinarily inspiring. I mean, your life story is extraordinarily inspiring and the work that you're doing and the vision that you have is such a breath of fresh air that uh, just as a citizen of the country, I f- just feel very indebted to you and very grateful for who you are. Before we wrap up, because you're an expert in literature and um, a large part of this series about podcasts and the, mm. the written columns uh, is actually has a literary side to it, I just want to ask you a question very different from what we've been talking about. Okay. Um, if people were listening and wanted to read, if you wanted to suggest two or three pieces of literature that you you did some work about American Arab literature mm-hmm. and you've done work on Israeli mm-hmm. Arab literature mm-hmm. in English also, um, what would be two books that they should read to get a sense of the American Arab mindset? What are some of the best novels, the most mm-hmm. compelling? And the same thing on the Israeli side. What should they go to Amazon and buy now? Arab
1: American literature? Yeah. Diana Abu Jaber's Language of Baklava, Diana Abu Jaber's Crescent, and Diana Abu Jaber's Life Without a Recipe. All about Arab food, American food coming into conflict, and a a, a family half Arab, an Iraqi father or Jordanian father, and an American mother. And then you see how uh, the uh, second generation of Arab Americans grew in between recipes and and, uh, baklavas and uh, whatever it is. And they grow into trying to uh, um, rethink their identity and revise it. Uh, These three books by the same author. And then there is Leila Halabi, uh, that gives a wider perspective on uh, life inside Israel, life in Jordan and Palestinian uh, territories, and also Palestinians in America. And you can see the the movement of generations. What are the names of her books? Uh West of the Jordan.
0: West of the Jordan? West of
1: the Jordan, which is amazing. Narratives of women, three generations of women, Jordanians, Palestinians, Americans trying to be more of that, less of that.
0: Where does she live? On the
1: spirit. In America.
0: She lives in America. Yes,
1: in America. Now uh what should uh Israelis read? Uh probably translated to Arabic, it translated to Hebrew. Uh, Translated to English, there is uh, Sahar Khalifa. Sahar Khalifa is a Palestinian author. She lives in London now for obvious reasons. And she wrote uh, amazing books about uh, uh, the stories of Palestinian territories and Palestinian villages, uh, starting from the 1920s up till the state of Israel and going after the state of Israel and how the community has changed and what happened. And also the conflicted uh, emotions among uh, Arabs and Palestinians. What's back the best then. book of hers to read? Uh, Asil and Fossil, which is make uh, origins. It's uh, my free translation. So it, it gives you a wider perspective from the 1920s into uh, almost the 2000 of different generations of, of Arab diaspora, Palestinian diaspora, Arab Jewish relations. And why do I mention this? I'm mentioning this not to educate uh, Israeli Jews about uh, what happened in, in Israel before and after, uh, but I, that gives some some um, some insights into Arab Jewish positive relations even in the 1920s and 30s and and 40s before the establishment of the state of Israel and after and the interdependence in between Arabs and Jews. Well, wow. i Right. <laughs>
0: There's so much parallel literature I was thinking about it, as you are talking about the multiple generations mm-hmm. like Mr. Mani by Aleph Bet Yoshua. Yeah, yeah. And the, the narratives are so mm-hmm. similar. Um, and I think you know, getting people who are listening to this to read mm-hmm. narratives of people who are on the quote unquote mm-hmm. other side of the Jordan, uh, so to speak, is just a very important way. Literature enables us to understand mm-hmm. the hearts and the souls of other people mm-hmm. much more than lectures yeah. or nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with us also. So I just want to thank you again. The work that you do and the life that you're living and the model that you're advocating is, is truly inspiring. And uh, we really are partners. We're partners in trying to build this country into something yes. that we can bequeath to our children and feel mm-hmm. good about. And uh, I look forward to seeing more progress with uh, the Q Schools and hearing the great progress about Atitna mm-hmm. and having our students here come and get to know you as well. So I wish you all the best and thank you again for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Daniel.
0: You've been listening to Israel from the inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.